Hello, and welcome to Conversations at the Washington Library, a podcast about early American history and the people that teach it. I'm Joe Stoltz, and in this episode, I'll sit down with Dana Stefanelli, the assistant editor of the Papers of George Washington. A brief bit of housekeeping before we get to the uh, interview, though. Uh, if you don't already follow us on social media at GW Books on Twitter and Instagram, and at the Washington Library on Facebook, well, we'd love if you stayed in touch with us. And also, uh, be sure to go ahead and rate and subscribe to this podcast, assuming you like it. And if you don't like it, you can still review us. That's fine. And now my interview with Dana Stefanelli. Hey, well, thank you, Dana, for coming on the show today. My pleasure. Glad to be here. Uh, yeah, just to, to introduce uh, you a little more to our guests, tell us about your background. Uh, well, uh, I'm from Florida originally. Uh, and I studied history and political science as an undergraduate. Uh, I worked on Capitol Hill after uh, completing college as a legislative aide to former uh, Senator Bob Graham of Florida. And then I went to graduate school at the University of Virginia where I studied early American history, uh, political economy, politics, economics, social class in early America. And while I was at UVA, I worked at the papers of George Washington as a graduate assistant, uh, and I wrote a dissertation, partly inspired by my work at, at the papers of George Washington, on the history, the founding and construction of early Washington, D.C. And did that just really in, in, in inspire you to, to come live up in the D.C. area? Were you like, well, this, this seems like a good place? <laughs> well, you know, I sort of had that long history beginning uh, as an intern yeah. on Capitol Hill in college, uh, and... You know, I, 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 I would say that I appreciate the Washington, D.C. area uh, for a, a variety of reasons as a, as a great place to live, uh, as I appreciate the architecture, I appreciate the history of it. Uh, I, you know, I'm, I guess I'm reluctant to seem like a D.C. file here, but, I, you know, I, I've made the place my home for most of my adult life, and, and I do love the city. I love a lot of things about, uh, about Washington, D.C. and the Washington, D.C. area. Uh, so it's it's been a long it's been a long courting between me <laughs> <laughs> courtship between me and, and Washington D.C. But I've embraced I've embraced the city as my home. Nice. So so then two questions: uh, Where are the Nats going to finish this season, and will Bryce Harper be on the team next year? Uh, the the Nats will make the playoffs, <laughs> and I think Bryce Harper also loves Washington D.C. very much, and he's going to make this place his permanent home. Nice. Right, Bryce. Yeah, Bryce, feel free to uh, tweet the podcast and let us know an answer on that. Uh, yeah, if you didn't know, Bryce Harper, huge listener, big fan of Conversations at the Washington Library. I understand. Yeah. Who wouldn't be? I mean, you know, he, he's often told me, Bryce, when we've been hanging out, that uh, he loves when George Washington wins the race at, at the Nats games. This is also something I enjoy. Yeah, yeah. We, uh, it, we, you can always tell when the Mount Vernon section is at a Nationals game because they're loudly and perhaps obnoxiously, uh, not just cheering for George Washington, but cheering against Thomas Jefferson, because <laughs> what a fool. Uh, so speaking of George Washington, uh, you have been now for a few months uh, the editor of the George Washington Papers uh, that is based here at the Washington Library, um, but the main facility is at uh, University of Virginia. Uh, so for our, our, our listeners that are, are, are maybe not as aware of the history of the project and, and the, why it's sort of spread out, could you let them know? Sure. Uh, well, the Papers of George Washington is part of uh, a large 
uh, documentary editing apparatus. That's, uh, that's, that's what we call what we do, documentary editing, as in the editing of historical documents. Uh, and sometimes it's called historical editing, uh, maybe may a little bit more uh, widely. Uh, but um, back in the uh, 1950s, 1960s, uh, Congress and uh, scholars became interested in putting together uh, and publishing a more comprehensive edition of the papers of the founding era. I think originally it was called the papers of the founding fathers, but we've broadened that out now uh, to be more inclusive than papers of the founding era. But it, it, it started with, um, with projects like uh, the papers of George Washington, uh, and most of the founding fathers also have uh, their own papers projects that are also pretty large, papers of Thomas Jefferson, uh, the Adams Papers, which has become the Adams Family Papers, um, <clears throat> papers of James Madison, et cetera, and they're 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 based in different uh, in different places at different universities, at research universities where uh, the editorial staff uh, of each project has access to the voluminous resources you would find at a top research uh, university in in order to research uh, the 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 papers that they're editing and. Um, and to fill in the uh, gaps uh, uh, in information in the papers uh, to make them much easier for uh, scholars, students, the general public to use. Uh, I often say that the goal of, of all of these projects is for uh, a layman or a researcher or, or someone to, to be able to pick up a letter, uh, a volume, because we have published letterpress books, book, addiction, book editions of all of the papers projects for, for numerous, for, for years now, decades now, uh, to be able to pick up those books, to look at a, look at a letter and read a letter, and to, to be able to quickly see where this document fits in the larger picture of the individual's life. Uh, so to, you know, our editing is, the intent is to explain uh, the events mentioned in it, in, in, a, in a document, the people mentioned in a document, to explain to show the reader uh, where uh, where that document fits in the larger picture of uh, what's going on in the person's life at that time and, and in their life in, in general um, to, to make the, the documents more accessible to as many people as possible. Now, what is, uh, I mean, besides sort of the obvious, you know, George Washington lived at Mount Vernon and the George Washington Papers are written by George Washington, what is Mount <laughs> Vernon's connection to the George Washington Papers Project? Uh, well, um, the, uh, there's been a long connection. Uh, the Mount Vernon Ladies Association has long been supportive of, um, of the papers of George Washington. And by supportive, I mean that in a holistic sense, both, both morally uh, as an advisory body and financially, uh, because it is expensive to produce these documentary editions. Uh, they, they are run under the auspices of uh, the National Archives and, and an organization called the National Historic Records and Publications Committee, uh, the NHPRC, which is the primary funding organization. But all the projects conduct some sort of individual fundraising. And from the beginning, the Mount Vernon Ladies Association has been heavily involved in supporting the work of the papers of George Washington. Uh, now, uh, the Washington Papers has been going for decades now, uh, since the first international search for all of George Washington's documents, uh, everything he wrote and everything he read uh, in the 19 uh, in the 1970s. There was an international search to get all those documents together, uh, but 
uh, as as pr probably the most successful uh, project in terms of the output of work uh, that has been done since the inception of the project. Uh, the project is starting to, to wind down its operations. We've published most of the volumes of George Washington's life. I say we. <laughs> I, I've only been part of the... The royal the, corporate Right. Yeah. The, this is a corporate we uh, for the last uh, 10 years or so as a graduate student and, and as an editor. Uh, the editors, I should say, of the papers uh, are wrapping up uh, are wrapping up their work after many decades uh, of doing so. And so over the course of the next eight to 10 years, um, uh, the offices of the Washington Papers down in Charlottesville, wh which is where the project uh, has been based at the University of Virginia uh, since, since its inception, uh, will be moving their, their archival records up to the Mount Vernon uh, ladies, uh, to, to the Washington Library, where, it, where they'll be kept for the foreseeable future uh, and, and curated, administered. Uh, the editor here at the Washington Library will be the editor of the Washington Papers in perpetuity <laughs> for as long as the Washington Library exists uh, because we have, uh, we have expanded with um, technology to include digital editions uh, of the Washington Papers and the Washington Family Papers uh, and uh, new documents have, have been discovered since the original search and presumably will continue to be discovered over time and uh, there, there, will, there will always have to be someone to sort of oversee the incorporation of that information but also uh, to manage the uh, updating of uh, the digital resources that the Washington Papers has created over the last several years. Um, you know, the, the days when you published all the books and you put them on the shelf and you moved on uh, presumably are over because some, someone needs to be around to make sure that um, make sure that the digital life of, uh, of these documentary editing projects is as stable and accessible for, uh, for the public as they were originally intended. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's funny when I hear you all talk about the project um, and, and you, you all keep using the phrase sort of winding down uh, <laughs> and it still has almost a decade to <laughs> go, which, which on some level, though, I think speaks to the scope of the project, right? I mean, this thing started in 1968. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, 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 I'm, I'm a liberal arts major, but that's 50 years ago. <laughs> it is um, a long time. Uh, can't deny that. Uh, but, you know, that, that original search that I mentioned uncovered or recovered 140,000 George Washington documents, uh, and that's a lot. Yeah. Uh, and so moving through those, uh, moving through those through those papers has taken time uh, to you know to to uh, to uh, transcribe them from their original manuscript versions into to a printed version um, to uh, uh, collate them for accuracy against other versions of the letters uh, because you know letters have gone through different. Uh, well, yeah, I think let, let me let me sure. stop you there because I think that's that's something that. Um, you know, we're saying different versions of the letters, mm -hmm. right? Uh, for our guests that may not be familiar with more formalized versions of 18th century correspondence, could you walk us through, uh, you mean, obviously, I could just write a letter, right, where I, I, I just write it and send it to somebody. But, you know, that's, that's not quite the way when you're George Washington, <laughs> you're, you're doing things. Could you, could you walk us through what what it takes George Washington to write a letter <laughs> when he's, say, Commander-in-Chief or President of the United States, because it's not the same thing as just writing your aunt. Sure, sure. And, and those instances when he was Commander-in-Chief during the Revolution and during the presidency 
probably the most involved, yeah. you know, correspondence of his of his life. But uh, you know, sometimes he had secretaries, sometimes he had aides de camp. Uh, they would um, draft, usually a draft the letter for him. Sometimes he would draft the letter on his own, uh, depending on who the correspondent was and and the the importance, presumably, of the matter or the the personal nature of the correspondence uh, he would draft himself. Um, and uh, uh, and then that, that letter would uh, presumably be uh, recopied uh, and sent to someone. So, you know, ideally, we, the editors would well, like... Well, there's a whole other version, right? The, the, the letter book copy. Right. There, there, there may be. may be a letter yeah. book copy kept by the sender. Mm-hmm. There may be a letter book copy kept by the receiver. Um, you know, uh, with some of the official correspondence between Washington and Congress, Congress would also make a copy for itself or sometimes multiple copies. Uh, so ideally, you know, we want the, the version that Washington received mm-hmm. or the, the version that his correspondent received from him. So we know exactly, in that case, we know what what you know what was what 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 was it actually that Washington was reading? He thought he was working off of, yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it's um, you know it, it might seem weird to people that you keep sort of this whole extra step of of a letter book, mm-hmm. uh, but you know just to provide some context for for some of you listening that maybe uh, haven't you know thought about it from this perspective, but right, it, this is an era when it it can take literally months to correspond, especially if you're doing overseas correspondence, and do you really remember everything that you wrote to that person eight months ago? And they're replying back going, yeah, that sounds great. And you're like, what, what did I, <laughs> what did I just get them to agree to? Sure. Uh, and the mails traveled at different speeds. Uh, you, you might receive one letter, you know, a letter somebody wrote later mm-hmm. uh, in the chain yeah. of correspondence than, than something they were, had written, uh, you know, uh, you know, earlier. Uh, so there's confusion. Uh, letters will often start with, uh, you know, acknowledging what, what they've received, like I received your letter of the 8th and 12th. Yeah, this is the knowledge I have right. to work off of. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm responding to that, not something you wrote more recently yeah. uh, or something like that. Uh, so, um, you know, in an era of, of as you suggest, fairly r- technologically rudimentary compl- uh, c- communications, being specific about all these sorts of, uh, of ticks of correspondence is really important uh, and keeping copies of your work uh, is especially of your correspondence is especially important. Uh, and, you know, for Washington, uh, he, he is unusual in that his correspondence was unusually important to a lot yeah. of people. Uh, and so in his case, you know, uh, at some point during the revolution, Congress uh, hired a team of, of copyists, of scribes, to make copies of everything uh, to make it easier for Washington uh, to um, uh, keep track of all the correspondence that was going uh, in and out of his headquarters, uh, and and you, you know you, if you ever look at the papers, you'll see the uh, the Varick transcript, which is is it's named after the the uh, Richard Varick, the lieutenant colonel who was in charge of of the copyists, <laughs> making sure all the cor- yeah. correspondence. So that that's just sort of a bit of trivia, but you know when you look at our our volumes, you you, you see these different versions. At the end of the letter, we we the editors will will. Write, write out for the, the reader, for the researcher, uh, all the different versions of the letter um, so, so that, you know, they know, the, the researcher knows 
uh, what we were working from, you know, in an effort to be as transparent as possible uh, with, uh, with, with the scholar, with the student about what, what's going on, uh, you know, what we're presenting to you and, and what information we have. Um, and so, yes, you know, uh, over the years, uh, there can be different versions found. Maybe when we originally edited, uh, you know, um, January of 1773, we only had a draft of a letter. That's all that was found was something that, uh, you know, a first draft that Washington kept for his own records. Uh, but the letter that he actually sent, uh, that, was, that was not found during that original search. Uh, but many years later, perhaps, ah, you know, uh, somebody has uncovered the, uh, the letter that was actually sent to, to someone by Washington. Uh, and so, um, you know, may, maybe there were significant changes, probably not, but uh, substantive changes uh, to that final version uh, of the letter. Uh, most of the time they're not, uh, but but sometimes there are, there are interesting interesting yes. changes that are made. And well, and, and I think to be able to, you know, especially once we get the digital versions online, you know, and you might have the possibility to sort of, right, essentially sort of see the track changes, if you will, of, of Washington's correspondence. Like my favorite um, that of one of these things that I'm aware of is uh, one of the letters between George Washington to the Marquis de Chateloup, uh, who if, if you don't know who the Marquis de Chateloup is, go back a few episodes where we talked to Iris de Rode, uh, and you can learn all about him. Uh, that episode's title was Hashtag Soulclave. You'll get that joke if you listen to the episode. Uh, but Washington's writing him, and Washington throws in like a bunch of classical allusions in like one of his draft versions, which is the version that's in the letter uh, press edition of the George Washington Papers. But when we acquired the original letter from the Chateau family uh, a few, like about a year ago now, uh, we found that in the, the final version that Washington had actually sent to Chateau, he actually walked back some of those classical illusions because <laughs> he realized like, I'm, I'm, I'm corresponding with an enlightenment French philosopher. I might not want to look like I'm trying so hard. <laughs> uh, it's sort of fun to be able to see those, those insights and sort of the, the inside editorial process within somebody like Washington's mind. Sure. And, you know, I would presume, I, I mean, I, I guess I'll just say that, you know, for those, that sort of correspondence that was not official in any way, you're more likely to see a lot yeah. of those sorts of changes when it's Washington doing his own draft, yeah. Washington doing his own final version. Uh, you know, he doesn't expect Congress to be reading it yeah. or something like that. <laughs> uh, you know, he perhaps didn't really even expect that posterity would be all that interested in some of those, you know, not, uh, unofficial or, or non-governmental yeah. uh, conversations. So, yeah, I mean, in that case, you, you've got a very interesting... Um, yeah. <laughs> Very in interesting incidents where, where some changes have been made from one person. So, so you all, so you all haven't found any where like a, a, an original draft version is like, let me tell you what I really think of you, John Hancock, and then, he, <laughs> and then he's like, hey Hamilton, let's uh, let's not send that one. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, uh, I don't think so. Not um, yet. <laughs> but you know, I, I it, the first thing that the editors of the Washington Papers transcribed and and published, uh, annotated and published were, were his diaries and. And uh, there, there's some frank, there's some frank <laughs> stuff in there. Uh, I mean, I, I, I really enjoy reading the diaries. Uh, you know, you, you get a, a sense of Washington's sense of humor. Uh, so he's sort of a wry and restrained wit, I say. I mean, he makes jokes. Uh, you kind of have to look for them a little mm -hmm. bit, but they're there. Uh, and, and so you get, get some of that frankness that you, you might not get in, in some of these letters, even with his in most intimate correspondence. Yeah. Now, um 
just full disclosure or to to uh, to clarify for for some of the listeners uh, when we're talking about you know that the the, the papers project papers are going to come to the Washington Library what we don't mean are like a bunch of George Washington handwritten letters right um, because because most of those are where most the, the bulk of Washington's um, correspondence his papers are at the Library of Congress uh, and have been there for for um, for many years for more than a century yeah now how, why are they there rather than at the George Washington Presidential Library the George Washington Presidential Library is a fairly new institution <laughs> uh, just a few years old uh, and um, you know, for a long time, uh, the Library of Congress was sort of the only game in town when it came to a, a you know, a, 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 a no trustworthy and respected institution repository uh, for original manuscripts. And so, there's a lot of stuff that's at the Wash at the Library of Congress and and George Washington's papers and the papers of most of the founding fathers uh, are are also uh, also kept at at the Library of Congress um, now. You know, we're, depending on which era of Washington's life we're talking about, it may be, say, 60%, uh, maybe 80%. Uh, the National Archives also has a lot of Washington correspondence, uh, especially official, official go governmental correspondence, uh, his correspondence with Congress, uh, things like that. Uh, but th the rest of it is, is scattered around the country. Uh, and here at the Washington Library, uh, we've been making an effort to uh, to acquire and, and make publicly accessible uh, manuscripts that have not um, not found their way to to public not heretofore found their way mm -hmm. to public repositories. Now, what is uh, what, which one of the volumes are you working on? I am working on what will be volume twenty nine of the Revolutionary War series, uh, which will be November and December of seventeen eighty. Uh, the Revolutionary War, uh, the bulk, uh, 80 or 90 percent of the work left to be done from George Washington papers is those final years of the Revolutionary War. Uh, so we're coming up on Yorktown, uh, and then in the aftermath of Yorktown, uh, there will probably be uh, 40 total volumes for the Revolutionary War. So we've published 25, I'm working on 29, and, and it will probably be 40 by the time it's all done. Uh, and that's that's forty just for the Revolutionary War. So how many? What what is sort of the breakdown of the different periods? Uh, after the Revolution, the presidency uh, has produced the most number of volumes, and that will be twenty-one volumes or twenty-two, I guess, uh, if you include the Journal of the Proceedings of the President, uh, which was one of the first things uh, done from those years, from those presidential years. Um, and then uh, the other periods of his life, which is how they how the editors uh, elected to, uh, to, to conduct the editorial process, to move through the, the editorial process, uh, was the, the Colonial Series, uh, which covers uh, Washington's life before the start of the Revolution, before he became Commander-in-Chief in 1775. And then the interim years uh, between the Revolution and, uh, uh, and the Presidency, which are the Confederation Series, uh, and then there's four four volumes, retirement volumes. So we we have I think 71 volumes right now in in print, uh, and then uh, the the remaining uh, 17 or so uh, to go before the project is finished. Nice. Uh, now, if any of our listeners want to uh, 
look through the papers of George Washington, where would you recommend they go? Uh, well, if you are not at a research library, uh, Founders Online, which is a, a website run by um, uh, the National Archives, which includes uh, most most of the work that has been done by the uh, the public the projects of the founding era, um, and, and and the goal of that Founders Online, which which started just a few years ago, was to make all that that knowledge, all, all that information pub as publicly accessible as possible. Uh, if you are at a, at a research library, uh, Washington Papers has its own digital version uh, that predates Founders Online by a few years, and, and that's the, the uh, Papers of George Washington uh, online digital, uh, digital edition. Uh, and, and then, of course, there's the old print volumes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you can always take a look at those, uh, and sometimes it's nice to have a book in front of you. <laughs> Uh, I, I think some some of these letters are difficult to read, and and uh, you know the language is very different. Eighteenth century language can be very different from from present day language. Uh, the sort of the ticks of correspondence, uh, habits of correspondence, and of language can be very different from what we do today. Uh, so um, you know, ha having a, a print print edition in front of you, especially if it's a, a letter about an important or complicated subject. Yeah, it can be, yeah. <laughs> it can be helpful yeah, to be able to go over sure. it without staring at a computer screen for hours. So Yeah, I find I find sometimes the print edition better too if you've got to kind of flip back and forth mm -hmm. across a, a wide swath. I mean you can use the tabs on your computer, but right. it's not the same as paper. Yeah, I mean there there are some things about uh working online with these documents that are easier. I mean we we've uh, tried to be aggressive uh with linking between documents to make it easier for researchers to researchers to jump through. Uh, and, and uh, explore a topic as quickly as possible. But, you know, if you're trying to keep track of dates and things like that, it, it's uh, sometimes easier just to have the book in, in front of you so you can flip back and forth easily. Yeah. Now, um, you know, you're, you're sort of in the middle of 1780 in your volume. Uh, what's been going on and what have you been most excited about? As, as excited as one can be with winter quarters of 1780. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the most interesting thing I think about uh, the volume I'm, I'm working on now is uh, that, you know, it, it is uh, the coming in the aftermath of some of the, the worst, the, the greatest setbacks for the American cause during the war, uh, the, the, you know, huge military defeats at uh, Camden, uh, at Charleston and Camden, uh, and then um, uh, the betrayal by the uncovering of the betrayal by Benedict Arnold. All, all three of those are, are fairly recent uh, events uh, at the end of 1780. Uh, so, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of uh, concern about morale, concern about supplies, uh, concern about uh, being able to keep an army in the field, um, frankly. Uh, so, so New Jersey line mutiny, is that would that be in your volume, or will that be in the next That'll one? That'll be in the next volume, yeah. um, soon after. Uh, but, uh, so, you know... Uh, things aren't great. No, things aren't <laughs> great. Uh, Nathaniel Green is um, taking con command of the Southern Army, uh, which we know, in hindsight, will be a good thing for, uh, for the revolutionary cause. Uh, but, you know... I think you see in, in my volume that Green is not so sure <laughs> about about where this is going and whether or not he's going to be up to the task. Uh, so some some of that 
a correspondence between Washington and, and his commanders as they try and figure out where they stand and how to uh, carry on the war from here uh, is, is a big question. Um, that's a big part of the, the correspondence in the volume. And, and also, you know, what role the French will play. Uh, you know, will the French be able to support the Americans in the way that they so desperately need at this difficult time? Um, walking that fine line, I think, is, is part of uh, Washington's correspondence with Lafayette and with some of the other French officers. Uh, that fine line between, uh, yes, we desperately need your help, but, you know, that doesn't mean we're desperate and about to lose the war, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, putting up um, putting up a, a brave front, uh, but but also uh, pushing as much as they reasonably can for as much support from the French as they, as they can uh, get is that, that sort of difficult uh, balancing act that you see through a lot of the letters, the correspondence between Washington and the French. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's, uh, I, it was, I was joking with uh, a, a grad school uh, colleague of mine, former grad school colleague of mine uh, today on Twitter actually about you know, the sort of old cliche of like, always be sure to go back to the sources. Um, but I think it's what makes uh, a project like the George Washington Papers Project so powerful um, it is that ability to very quickly access the mindset from the time period, right? Because they don't know what we know. Sure. You know, I mean, Nathaniel Green can have no way of knowing that in, in a, a matter of months, he's going to find you know, it's going to be a loss at Guilford Courthouse, but it's, it's going to be a good loss, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, yeah, nobody and, knows Yorktown is, is on the side. Yeah, you know, and so it's, it's fascinating. You know, we, we, I think, lots of times sort of in retrospect, uh, since we know how the story is going to end, uh, sort of don't appreciate um, the struggle of, of these decision makers and these, and these historical figures uh, when they're in the middle of it. Yeah. Well, it can be difficult. I mean, you know, without without uh, sa sounding uh, too boastful or, or promotional, I mean, that is the whole, the whole point, yeah. in a sense, of these projects is to make it make it uh, make that sort of those sort of moments uh, and sentiments more accessible for people. Uh, and you know, there's still a little bit of digging that needs to be done, uh, but uh, if you have a, a broad sense of the of the the time uh, and the timeline and the personalities involved, then uh, you know you can uh, being able to look directly at the, the the correspondence between Nathaniel Green and George Washington. Uh, you know you 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 might have a sense that that might be where some of the most interesting details uh, of the period um, are available. And 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 now that they're transcribed and annotated, you can get get at them uh, pretty quickly. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for uh, coming on the show and, and telling us about the project. Uh, for you listeners, we will, we will put a link on the website at mountvernon.org slash podcast uh, to Founders Online so that you can uh, go look it up if you want. Uh, and you know, again, Dana, thank you so much for, for spending some time with us today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Conversations at the Washington Library. Be sure to subscribe and follow this podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.